I'm Brenna, a certified sex expert and sex coach who is passionate about human sexuality, female empowerment, and helping people develop the sex life of their dreams. I'm Brian, certified relationship coach, eager to share my unique relationship experiences along with a rich history of sexuality to coach you through your personal journey. And you're listening to Sex on Your Terms. Body image and health overall has a huge impact on your relationship health and definitely sexual health. We're going to talk about all of that because Brian and I have very different experiences and backgrounds, but in a lot of ways have come to the same realizations. We're going to talk through that. First, we need to give a very big thank you to altplayground.net, an amazing non-monogamous lifestyle site that we recommend checking out. If you are interested in potentially getting into non-monogamy, there are hundreds of resources available to really guide you and give you information. And if you're an experienced lifestyler and you're just looking to meet some new friends, you'll absolutely find them at altplayground.net. So check it out today. And we want to give another thank you to Promescent, which is a company that produces some of our absolute favorite bedroom wellness products. The Delay Spray is their flagship product and one that we recommend constantly. But another product from Promescent that Brian is personally a fan of is the Vitaflux. Yeah, Vitaflux is my go-to every morning. I was actually just out of town, kind of disappointed in myself. I forgot to take it with me and I missed it and I definitely felt the difference. Yeah, it's a vitamin specifically geared towards uh, both men and women to help with vitality, energy, and potentially even libido. So check out all all of the products available from Promescent at promescent.com. That is P-R-O-M-E-S-C-E-N-T.com and use our promo code front porch for 15% off of your order. So I found a really interesting article for sex in the news today that I wanted to discuss with you. Okay. It is from Forbes, which I don't love Forbes for sex articles most of the time, but this one was actually pretty great. Yeah, it's not exactly my go-to for sex articles, but all right. Yeah, as soon as you think Forbes, you don't think, ooh, sexy sex articles. But this was a good one. It's called Machine Learning Reveals What Makes People Happy in a Relationship. So here's the thing about most relationship studies. If you guys are reading them, you really need to look at the sample sizes because a lot of times they're talking to 20 couples or 50 couples, even 100 or or people in general. Their data sets are incredibly small and therefore the data they're collecting is not super reliable. Still interesting, but you have to really read it with a grain of salt. This is a huge relationship study that uh, machine learning allowed 11,000 data sets to be completed. Yeah, that's a big one. It's huge. And what that tells me is, you know, it's probably pretty darn accurate. And it came up with some really interesting characteristics that people use to define whether they were happy in a relationship or not. That's interesting. So the five most important things that people said that they need in a relationship. Are you ready for them? I'm ready. Number one, how much they believed their partner was committed to the relationship. Okay. Number two, how much they appreciated their partner. Number three, sexual satisfaction. No surprise there. We've been saying that for how long now? Finally, we have some research to back it up. (laughs) No No surprise that sex is important. Number four, how much they believed their partner was happy in the relationship. And number five, a lack of consistent conflict. That's interesting. Those five are interesting. I would not have guessed that that was the top five. Now, that's not any specific order, right? It is not. But yeah. top five nonetheless. Yes. I'm not surprised by sex being part of that, certainly. I would have thought that infidelity may have crept in there somewhere. That doesn't seem to be as big a concern, I guess. As, a lack of infidelity? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, that That's not as big a concern, I guess, for as many people as you would think. At least not in the top five. Not in the top five anyway. Could have been number six. Who knows? But I'm not surprised by the sex portion of it. It's uh, it's it's just one of those things that people 
gloss over sometimes or maybe don't want to admit to, but they are, it is absolutely an important staple in a relationship. Right. And it specifically says sexual satisfaction, not necessarily number of times per week, which I think a lot of times- that lends itself to sexual satisfaction. It does, but that's only one factor of it. Yeah, just one component. There's a lot of components that go into it, but I'm, I like the idea that it is sexual satisfaction that is in the top five, not sex in general, because that can mean a lot of things. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I would love to see them do a deep dive with the machine learning on sexual satisfaction. I'm hoping what that's... What means to each per, to each individual or individual you know, What is most or... important or what are the what do you consider to be most important in your sexual, sexual satisfaction? Yeah. Is it frequency? Is it length of time? Is it right. variety? Like what specifically makes you feel satisfied in your sexual relationship? Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. I mean, and once again, there are studies out there, but they're small. They're not 11,000 data sets. No, because a lot of times when they do these studies, like as you said, you've got a small uh, test group because it's, it takes so long to, to, to get the data. And well, so machine learning, I'm not going to go into all the specifics of it. I'm a total nerd about this kind of stuff. Typically in the past, what's happened with relationship studies is they go out or they send a survey to a person or a couple and they have that person send it back to them and then they analyze the data. What they did here was more of a a widespread net and used um, technology to basically gain a bunch of information all at the same time. And it was not a, a person talking to another person, which a lot of times will skew the information. Right, exactly. Based on a million different things. Well, sure. People are going to be a little apprehensive to to provide information to someone as opposed to doing it this way. Especially on things like sexual satisfaction, which is why they need to use this technology for that. 100%. I wonder if this is one of the few times that sexual satisfaction has crept into the top five, for example, for that reason, because there was not a face-to-face kind of conversation. I don't know. It'd be interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Anyway, that's good to know. I geek out over this stuff, so... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. So as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, we are going to be talking about a variety of topics today, all of which are around general health and well-being. And, you know, as they they relate to strong relationships and your sexual health. Yes, absolutely. Because it's all intertwined. 100%. So I want to start by talking a little bit about my background with all of this, because I'm not even sure this is something you and I have discussed in great detail before. But as you know, I was a competitive dancer growing up. Right. And my relationship to fitness and food because of my experience in a dance troupe was, I would call it very toxic. Sure. I was not large growing up by any stretch of the imagination. I was very fit. I was dancing four days a week. I was running three to four days a week, being very careful about my food. But I was in a ballet troupe where everyone around me was a size double zero. Right. And I was not. And it created this very weird relationship with food because it was something that I was surrounded by girls talking about food and their size constantly. Well, that's where this conversation of body image typically comes from. Is what when you're in those formative teenage years, or yeah, absolutely. It's I, I know particularly for girls uh, in my studies, it's, it, it was a very, it was a difficult time for girls at adolescent time as it pertains to body image, and that carries through to, with with people for the rest of their lives for yeah. the most part. Absolutely, and I was not bullied about my weight. That's not what this was. It was more of a, like I said, just a constant discussion. I remember weekend getaways, you know, weekend dance competition trips we would take where that would be pretty much all that was discussed is what are we eating and, you know, when are we going to be able to work out? And 
it was, in my opinion, looking back on it to the point of obsession for them personally. And I felt guilty not always sharing that mentality right. because I wasn't obsessed with those things. I went to freaking Pizza Hut with my friends on the, the weeks I wasn't dancing. And I did all of those normal teenage things. And yet I constantly had this image of like, I'm the biggest girl in my dance troupe. Right. So it was very, it, it had a very lasting impact on me. And I think when I stopped dancing, I went way too far the other way where I was like I'm going to get completely away from that toxic relationship with food and exercise and I am going to splurge and live and drink and you know in a lot of ways be a normal college kid but also completely lacking an understanding of the balance that really needed to be in my life in order to be healthy and feel good well that's what it is there for normative life for normal people there there should be a balance people who are you know, like as you suggested, uh, even as a young person, very dedicated to a particular sport, that's when things get a little, you can easily lose focus, certainly. And it's difficult, particularly when you're younger. I went, you know, I have a very different experience, obviously, than you do when it comes to athletics and food and that kind of thing. But uh, it, it is absolutely something that will carry over with you for the rest of your life. And in some cases, some people simply don't get away from it. It really can be a problem. I've seen it in my profession. I've seen it. <clears throat> And then into my 20s, it was it became this constant yo-yo and a diet culture that I forced upon myself where I would gain 20 pounds and lose 30 pounds and gain 40 pounds. And I'm five foot one. Five so foot one and a half. For, <laughs> for me to lose and gain 40 pounds, that's an, a significant amount of weight. Yeah. And it's one of those things where I, I always knew it was unhealthy, but I couldn't get my mind around living a truly healthy lifestyle style unless it was obsessive you know what i mean it was one extreme or the other and i because of that i'll tie this in in terms of body image it didn't matter what my weight was i didn't necessarily love my body i never hated it i never felt like oh my god i hate the size that i'm at i was never super uncomfortable with my body but i also lacked a certain level of confidence and like even the idea of presenting myself as a super sexual person was uncomfortable to me because I just didn't always love being in my own skin. Well, but that changed for you at one point when you got into the world of BDSM, certainly. That that had an effect, well, positive effect. When I got into the world of BDSM, I was fairly small comparatively to how I have been in the past. Right. I was smaller and, and I was also getting into a world where I was a single woman, a younger single woman, and... To be honest, I got a lot of very positive attention about my appearance. And that did definitely start to, to change my overall feelings about myself. I almost now looking back on that, don't feel like that was necessarily the most positive thing because I was so reliant on what everyone else was saying around me to determine my self-worth. I was using them as my mirror. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I didn't like that feeling. I liked the feeling in the temporary, but not in the long term. It was like a temporary high, like I'd get a dose of like, oh my God, you're so beautiful. Or like you have an amazing body or look at that butt. And I would feel good in that moment, but it wouldn't last because I still was not at a point that I really loved myself in my own body. I honestly believe that being with you and being in the lifestyle that we're in, being around people who are incredibly sex positive, who are complimentary of me, no matter what my body looks like. That is what has really started to change things for me. That's not to say I'm not still on a journey because I do still want to get healthier. And I also feel like my weight at times has impacted my ability to have good, healthy relationships. I think of the times that 
you know, I've been a little bit bigger with you, for example, and I, I constantly want to cover up. I want to put on lingerie all the time instead of being naked with you, or I get out of bed and I want to wrap something around myself and that doesn't feel awesome. And it, so I'm still working through all of that. Well, you also have to get to the point where you are absolutely comfortable with in your own skin and happy with yourself. What anyone else says really at some at certain points doesn't matter. Exactly. So no matter how many times I tell you how beautiful you are, what you look like, if you're still not comfortable with yourself and you're still going th- th- through that journey, you're still going to have those apprehensions about being completely naked and even in front of me and you know all those kinds of things. That's very normal. My point there is a lot of times we'll get communication from, you know, typically, and this is not just a female centric issue. Obviously men experience a lot of, a lot of body image issues as well, but typically speaking, it'll be a man that reaches out to us and says, for example, I tell my wife constantly how beautiful she is. I think she's the most beautiful woman in the entire world. And yet she lacks the confidence to do X, Y, and Z. And there's a lack of understanding in relationships sometimes about a personal journey with your body and it is a very personal journey it's not a team journey unlike almost everything else in a relationship body image is a personal thing and it can't be like this team effort you can support your partner you can encourage healthier behavior or get on board with whatever their health regimen looks like to support them but it still has to be something that they decide to do no, it's a, it is very personal. In fact, it is that it's that one thing, and especially for me, as we can we can get into what it meant to me was a lot of time for most of my life, I had complete control over it. I am somewhat of a control freak, as we all know. <laughs> that is the one thing that you have one hundred percent control over. You can determine what you eat. You can determine when you exercise, and to a large degree, determine what that outcome is. And it is it's controlling the controllables, right? business or anything, all you can do is control the controllables. And in that particular case, in that personal, let's call it personal fitness health journey, you are in control. People, even some people don't realize that. Some people will make excuses. Oh, well, I don't, I can't do this or I can't do that. I can't eat this. I can't eat that. You are 100% in control. If you truly want to do something and make a change, you can do it, but you're the only one that can do it. It's, you know, the old saying, you can lead a horse to water kind of thing. I can't make you get healthy. I can't force you to get you know, to do more exercise, you've got to decide to do that. Right. And but, so it is very personal. The best thing you can do is to support your partner, regardless of what that looks like. Right. So all of that being said, I think we should talk a little bit about your personal background with health and fitness, because I think that plays a large role in the discussion that we're having. And also the ways that health and fitness has crept into our, I shouldn't say crept into our relationship has been a part of our relationship. Well, it's also been a big part of, it's been a part of all of my relationships for the most part, you know, all of my adult life, um, you know, in my, from starting in my twenties, even my teens actually for that matter. Uh, but it's always been a, a topic of conversation in my life. And it still is today with you and I. Um, you know, I come from a very fitness-oriented background. I was a competitive athlete for many, many years. And there were times in my life, particularly in my 20s and into my 30s, where there was I was not going to sacrifice my health and my fitness and my regimen and my protocols, my, my you know, my nutritional guidelines for any relationship. And I, I decimated relationships because I simply would not acquiesce. Oh, you want to go out to eat? Fine, knock yourself out. Go right ahead. I don't, I don't, I don't do that. I don't, and I didn't drink for probably fifteen years. Right. No alcohol. So it was very detrimental to relationships. Even as you and I have discussed, relationships that I was in with people who were very fitness oriented and very athletic, or also competitive athletes, they found it difficult to be around me 
because I was so rigid in how I ate and how I trained and how I lived. So it became a problem. There's no question about it. And then, as, of course, as life continues and things change, you find the best balance you can. But you have to be around someone who is understanding of what that is. And you have to be clear about it as well. If you're not 100% open about what that looks like for you, how important those things are to you, you're going to find yourself in a relationship that is destined for failure right. every time. What about when you're already in that relationship and you decide to make a fitness change? So for me, that wasn't necessarily the case. I never really had that issue, but I, I do, I have history with it. I've seen it and I dealt with it professionally as a you know nutrition professional. And if you've got two people that are in a relationship, for example, and potentially maybe both of them are relatively unhealthy, maybe they're not active, but one of them you know, maybe one goes to the doctor, gets a checkup. Doctor says, hey, you're in terrible shape. You have got to make some dietary changes in your life. You have got to get healthy. You've got to get, you know, get some exercise. You've got to move. If one person decides to do that and the other does not, I have never seen a relationship work under those circumstances. And I'll give you an example. As a young person in grad school going through my, you know, my nutrition research program, part of my thesis was I was, I was dealing with the public and I was responsible for speaking to women who were prenatal or who had, who had just given birth, they were postnatal, just recently postnatal, about health and nutrition. In a relatively depressed part of Georgia, reading, I think the average literacy rate there was like seventh grade, something like that. So I was dealing with folks who didn't have a deep knowledge of health and fitness and nutrition. On top of which, I was dealing with families who were maybe underprivileged or just simply didn't have a lot of resources and a lot of you know a lot of education as it pertained to health and fitness and someone in the family uh, was regarded as being unhealthy and then they brought them to the clinic so i dealt with a couple who were they were uh, middle aged let's call them they were very unhealthy they were they were large people they were unhealthy they'd never been active in their entire lives and they had three children one of those children was a 12 year old boy and that 12 year old boy had been diagnosed as being obese at 12 years old, okay? So the conversation goes into what does the dietary habits of the home look like? And as, as that conversation started, the mother very aggressively picked up her purse and dumped it on the table in front of us. She just dumped her purse out. Out of that purse fell, it looked like someone had broken into a candy machine. It was nothing but candy. I remember like the $100,000 bars and Reese's, all of this. It was like somebody had taken someone's Halloween bag and just dumped it on my desk. And she looked at me and she said, she pointed to it. She said, that's what I eat and that's all I eat. I will not change. So I very politely took all of the candy and I, I scooped it back up and I put it back in her purse and I handed her her purse and I looked at my professor who was sitting behind me and I looked at her and I said, I'm sorry, I, I can't help you. There's nothing I can do for you. Until you're prepared to change your dietary habits and the dietary habits of everyone else in the house, I can't help your son. And I got up and left the room. And I was upset. I was distraught by it because I was so disappointed that this woman gave so little care to how unhealthy her child was that she was unwilling to change her own dietary habits. Yeah. So you can't expect someone who is sitting across from you, you can't expect your your partner to eat chicken and broccoli while you're stuffing pizza in your face and be okay with that. You've got to get on the same page. You, there has to be some balance, some level of, some equal kind of give and take. Yeah, You know, absolutely. It, it's tough. It's a, it's a, food is very personal to people. Exercise is very personal. And if you don't have two people on the same page, 
you're going to run into some issues, especially in a very, you know, in a relationship that's important to you. I think what you're saying is it's very personal, but it is more team oriented than I guess maybe a lot of people would think about. Well, sure. It, it, your goals may be very, you know, selfish, right? You're very kind of, you know, it's, it's all, it's internalized. But if you're in a relationship, whether you like it or not, you are part of a team and it is, your team's got to be on board. Right. You know, they don't, your partner doesn't necessarily have to follow the same protocols and the same dietary restrictions and those kinds of things, but they certainly have to be supportive. Maybe they can eat whatever they want to eat because they're not, you know, they're not going through and they don't have some kind of a ailment of some kind or an illness that they're dealing with, or, you know, they don't have to lose X amount of pounds to be, you know, for their doctor to think that they're healthy. Well, that's okay. But in the presence of that, of your partner, you really kind of want to be on the same page. Like eat something maybe in front of them that doesn't represent all the things they can't or shouldn't have. Right. Don't make them feel bad about what they're having to do to make themselves healthy. Yes. That's when the trouble comes in. And I dealt with that myself. You know, having to be on a very specific diet. I remember very clearly for 22 weeks, I ate orange roughy and green apples. What's orange roughy? Oh, that's a fish. fish. You told me this already. Yes. Yeah. Orange roughy and green apples for 22 weeks. That's all I ate. That seems horrible for you. It it was, oh yeah, it was true. Yeah. It was very effective. But I think this brings up another point, which is you're saying I only ate orange roughy and green apples because that was your diet and you were training and you were being very serious about your weight. That isn't necessarily the same thing as being healthy. No, no, no. That was, there's very big difference. There's a large difference between being healthy and being fit right. <laughs> and losing weight and you know being in shape. That was specific. It was a specific dietary protocol for a very specific reason. I got the job done. Was it the healthiest thing in the world to eat? Absolutely not. It, it was a destructive to my digestive system for any number of reasons. But what was really difficult was that at the time, I was dating someone and living with someone who absolutely did not have to eat that way and was not about to eat that way. Right. And it drove them insane because I did not break from that. It was orange roughy and green apples four times a day for 22 weeks. That's what I ate. Right. So you can imagine, you know, imagine you and I, how we live, you and me eating that four times a day for, for 22 weeks. You would go crazy. Yeah, crazy. I'd be bored to death. And you certainly wouldn't eat it. You wouldn't no. eat it with me, right? And if you did, that's not all you were, you know, you weren't about to eat just that. No. You know, it would have driven you nuts. Yeah. So it, again, it, on both sides, there has to be some give and take. And it's difficult if you're a person who is just steadfast in one of those regimens that is very rigid. It's really a lot to ask of your partner to get on board with that. Right. You know, that's a that's a big ask. And at the same time, you can't expect your partner to be 100% on board with that. If they don't need it, if they don't really want it, if they haven't bought in, then you've got to accept that. Yeah, it's a fine line. Oh, it's very difficult. For sure. I think something else that we should discuss with this is the concept of getting quote unquote healthy, but still not feeling good about yourself. I follow an Instagram account. I won't mention it on the show because I didn't ask permission to do so. Um, But there's an Instagram account out there of a woman who went from 250 pounds down to like 115 pounds. And she did it the right way. She wasn't starving herself or anything like that. She was working out, exercising on a very strict regimen. She did it in like a year and two months or something like that. And and she was proud of it. And people were constantly telling her, oh my God, you look so good. Good for you. Finally getting to your goal weights and all, you know, all of these positive affirmations. And yet she said she would look in the mirror and still be like, I don't like what I see. I'm not, I don't feel good. And what the issue was is 
you, she fixed in her mind, fixed the body. I'm not saying you have to be 115 pounds to be fixed. I think that's insane. If you are 115 pounds and, and you like being 115 pounds, that's awesome. But I think personally, you can be healthy and beautiful at many different weights. But I think the concept of losing a bunch of weight or getting quote unquote healthy, but still not feeling good speaks to the fact that it's almost you have to fix yourself internally before you can focus on the outward, or at least you have to do them simultaneously. Well, it also comes down to why are you get why are you losing the weight? What's it, the reason? Or what are the reasons for you to lose the weight? Have you come to terms with the fact that you're unhealthy, that it's a healthful thing, and you want to get to a weight that makes more sense, where you are energetic and lively? Or are you is it a body dysmorphia thing? And then, then, you, then you're in a, a situation where you're in your own head so deeply that you're never going to be satisfied with the way you look. And I went through that. I dealt with that. So I understand it. Do you feel like you're still dealing with that to some degree? Sure, absolutely. Because you got you know, you obviously the folks listening don't know what I looked like when I was a 17, 18 year old and then a 25 year old or what, what phases my physique went through for various reasons. But when I was at my... I'm not going to romanticize it and say my healthiest because that would be that would be a lie. When I was at what would have appeared to have been my most fit or my most my mo- my highest level of athleticism, let's say, I was probably 32, something like that, and I was somewhere in the neighborhood of 255 or 260 pounds. I know that sounds crazy. I was very very athletic. I was on a lot of performance-enhancing drugs that I should not have been taking, and I was very successful in what I was doing, but I was gigantic, and that is how I was known. As you saw, when I graduated high school, you know, 18 years old, I was also about 245 pounds, also very athletic, and on a lot of performance-enhancing drugs. So my persona was the big guy. I was always the biggest guy. I was always the biggest teenager, you know, and going through that, and have, not being able to do it after a while, after have, a while of having to give it up, you go through a phase. I was like, okay, I'm no longer going to be the biggest guy. Like, that's not normal for me. And losing 60 pounds, 70 pounds, because I no longer took those performance-enhancing drugs, changed my physique. And it was, it, you know, it, it was mentally crippling for a while. I was really disappointed with the way I looked. By all accounts, I was much healthier. Right. And I looked better. I felt better. Because you weren't carrying all that weight. Yeah, because I'm only six foot one, just at six foot one. I mean, all that weight was, you don't realize how much pressure that puts on your body and the stress it puts on your body until you get rid of it. Right. And I didn't realize that until I got rid of it and got down to like 180 pounds and I was walking around and doing things. I was like, wow, I'm really, I'm not out of breath today. Like, okay, that's cool. Or bending down the time my shoes didn't wear me out, you know? (laughs) So, you know, it was... It was kind of an awakening thing, but there is a level of, you know, there's a mental component. It's like, I'm not at my best anymore. I can't compete anymore. I can't, I don't look at myself the same way. Others don't look at me the same way. It's just mental. So it sounds like a lot of your identity was tied to your body. 100%. My entire life. Yeah. My entire adult, my entire, you know, adolescence, certainly through my early 30s. And now that you are 50, Mm -hmm. how has that changed for you? Well, you realize what's what, what's important, is particularly as it pertains to health and fitness. 
for me, the idea of being 260 pounds is so foreign. I I can't even wrap my head around it. Even now I walk around at 185, 190 pounds and I still feel like I'm too heavy. So I'm not in that space, that head space. I don't need or want to be bigger anymore. I just stay fit, whatever I feel like is fit for me. My, obviously, you know, my diet, my protocols are very specific, but I don't do that for any reason other than to stay healthy at 50 because you, my partner, are 20 years my junior. I got to be around for a while. And so it's really just about being healthy and not being uh, the specimen that I was in my 20s and 30s. That's not important to me anymore. Right. You know, I want to I want to feel good. Certainly, I want to look good, or at least what I think looks good for a 50-year-old guy. But I, I don't do it for any other reason than to stay fit and healthy because it's good for me and good for us. And we have to tie this in. This is about sexual health, too. And for a 50-year-old guy to not be taking care of himself and to not be eating right is absolutely a recipe for disaster as it pertains to your sexual health. Because at 35 and certainly at 40, your testosterone levels start to decrease by nature. And it's it's an unfortunate, uh, cruel joke of nature. I don't care who you are. You are going to start your your testosterone as a man is going to start to diminish. And what you eat and how you... how active you are, are going to be directly reflective of saving that testosterone and, and, and your body producing testosterone to any level. You have to be eating right and you have to be taking care of yourself or you are doomed. You, you're just going to be doomed. I think it's also, a, once again, back to the mental thing. I think the idea, especially of of being in a sexual relationship in as an older man, obviously I'm not an older man, so you no. can tell me if I'm incorrect in this, but as an older man, there's an additional pressure on you to you know, look a certain way and to be able to perform a certain way. And especially the kind of sexual interactions we have, they're not five, 10 minute sessions. No, this it, is something that you are you are really gearing up and up for a marathon a lot of times and not being able to go forward with that play. I would assume that, that there's some pressure in that. Yeah, absolutely. We talk about the pressures of sexual performance all the time. We talk to couples about it and singles about it a lot of times in our coaching um, and even with our friends. And it's a it's a topic of conversation a lot of times. There is pressure for men and women. In, in general, right? In society, the pressure for women to be, to look like the uh, the runway models, which is crazy. Not anymore. You know? Now it's Kim Kardashian. Which is also fine. <laughs> but, you know, you know there, but there's that pressure to look a certain way. Yeah. Men have that pressure. You know, it's, it's, there's no difference. Everybody thinks that there's difference. There's no difference. Yeah. Guys are just as concerned about that as women. They don't necessarily talk about it as much, but they certainly are concerned. And if you don't believe that, go to any gym and you look at the guys that are my age trying to get themselves in shape. And or doing whatever they have to do because there's they're looking you know listen they look at the the movie the Hollywood guys and just like you gals do and it's like oh I don't look like that I need to I need to get in shape that's the those are the guys that the women are, are you know are seeking it's it's a lot of pressure then add to the fact that you're getting older your libido's dropping right and then compound that with a situation like mine where I'm you know my partner's twenty years younger than me yeah my partner's thirty <laughs> so now you're a fifty year old guy trying to keep up with a 30-year-old woman, and we're in an ethically non-monogamous relationship. We are swingers. We play with other people. We engage with other couples. We have multiple play partners and regular playmates. And so our, and our sex life is voracious. Yes. You got to keep up with that. Yeah. You better, you better get on the treadmill. <laughs> you, you better do something because you're going to have a hard time keeping up. And if you want to 
be in a, you know, an ethically non-monogamous world post-COVID, hopefully, and get back in the saddle and play with your friends and go to the events. And you want to keep up. You've got to, you've got to have some fitness. You have to. Yeah. Well, I think no matter what, you don't want to be that person in an ethically non-monogamous situation that shows up and is afraid to approach somebody or afraid to have fun because of the fitness level, because you're concerned that you're not going to be able to, you know, ride as long as they might want or whatever the case may be. Yeah. It, that is a is a horrible feeling. I mean, I personally have experienced it. <laughs> I was with a woman once. I'll leave it at that. We won't go into detail. But I was the one thrusting. And I was getting out of breath. And that was when I thought, oh my gosh, I am limiting myself from a sexual perspective. That's yeah. all there is to it. Yeah. I need to be in better shape if I want to have varied experiences. If I don't want to be going into situations afraid that I'm not going to be in the shape that I need to be. Not only aesthetically, but also literally from being able to do what I want to do. From being physical. And from a male perspective, that's a daunting thing. You don't want to be the guy in the room who can't keep up. You don't want to be a guy in the room whose libido is failing him or whose stamina is failing him. That's a tough place to be. Now, the good news is within the ethical non-monogamy sphere, there is very little shaming of any kind. People are very understanding and non-judgmental and everybody's in the same boat. You know, everybody gets it. And, they, and it's an open topic of conversation a lot of times, but you still don't want to be the guy who's got to tap out for everybody else or, or not be able to participate for varying reasons. Right. And a lot of that comes from your, your health. You've got to be healthy. You know, you look at the folks that we encounter in the lifestyle. How many of the guys are more closer to my age than your age? Most of them. Majority. Right? And the majority of them are in better shape than most of the guys we encounter in vanilla life your age. Yes. For a reason. Yes. They have purpose. Because they want to be with a 30-year-old. <laughs> well, I'm just kidding. they don't want to be embarrassed when they're yeah. with a 30-year-old right. or a 40-year-old or whomever. They simply want to be at their best because they're in a lifestyle that you know emulates health and vitality and all those things. And you, you just don't want to be left out. Right. You're in a lifestyle to have fun. You're in this particular space for you know different experiences. You're not going to be able to have those experiences if you're not able to keep up yes you know it's a big deal in our world it's a big deal i think health and once again body image is something that also keeps people from the lifestyle yes i will never forget and that's unfortunate that that's unfortunate it is. I will. I'll never forget an email that we received um, from our other podcast, Front Porch Swingers. A listener actually found our YouTube channel. Yeah. And she went and and saw me and saw that I was not a you know porn star bodied woman. And she was like, that was inspiring to me because I had this mentality that if you are in the lifestyle, it means that you are a size two or four and you have perfect breasts and a perfect butt and. You know, if you're not that person, if you're not that body, you don't belong. And of course, we always stress that there's a place for everyone in the lifestyle. And but I, I think there's something to be said for being at a point where you're comfortable with yourself before you get into the lifestyle as well. I think if and and the lifestyle has a way of perpetuating positive thoughts about yourself. Once you're around people that are sexually interested in you who are not your partner, and and that kind of builds on itself. It's like the, all these building blocks to make you feel awesome about yourself because it happens over and over and over again that you're told that you're sexy, that people want to be with you, those types of things. And that's great. But I think getting into the lifestyle, if you lack a certain level of confidence in yourself, if you're unsure of of yourself on a very serious level from a body perspective, it can be a recipe for disaster. 
Sure, but at the same time, because of the the inclusivity a lot of times of the people in the space, folks who don't have uber confidence in their appearance or you know how they feel about themselves, as you mentioned, they will find that confidence along the way because people will be complimentary. And there is a space for everyone in this in the world of ethical non-monogamy. As I said, for me personally, I like a certain a certain look yes. when it pertains to women. Yes. You know, I like big butts. Yes. You know, I like <laughs> meat on the bones. I'm not a I'm not a guy who seeks out the most athletic person in a woman in the room. That's not my thing. Everybody has their own thing. So there's plenty of variety and there's a space for everybody. I think if you lack confidence, you will gain some getting in the space, which will give you the motivation to do the things that you want to do. They'll motivate you to get healthier. They'll motivate you to eat right and exercise. If that's your goal. If that is in fact your goal. And if it's not your goal, you're still going to find a place in that space. Along the way, potentially your health may get in the way. And then it'll come. you'll come to the realization that, well, maybe I need to improve in some of these spaces. But you certainly don't have to take it to an extreme. You just have to get to a place where you feel better. Right. You know, feel better about yourself and feel better physically. And that's, I mean, it's just good for you. Yeah. That's all it is. But being so far off in a relationship, if you've got, a, if you're a couple, whether you're heteronormative or not, if you're a couple and you're not on the same page in terms of, you know, your levels of fitness and and what your dietary habits look like, you can find yourself in selves in some very murky water. You've just got to find a balance. Yes, that's essentially what you and I have done in our relationship. We're in very different places. As it pertains to age, certainly. And, and physical fitness. <laughs> yes, but also the need to be at, at different levels of physical fitness. Again, at 50 years old, health and fitness is much more important to me now than it was even when I was 20 and 30 years old. Different, but more important. Right. Because I'm trying to get more out of more time. You know, I'm trying to buy more time. And to do that, I have to eat better and I have to I have to be fit. Right. So I take it probably a little bit more seriously than you do, but I have a reason for it. Yeah. And in the long run, I think you'll appreciate it because you won't be pushing me around in a wheelchair. <laughs> uh, not sooner anyway. So, you know, I think that's that's a big part of it for me. I My motivation is our relationship and the longevity of it. That's it. I don't want to be 70 and you be 50 and might not be able to participate in all the things you want to do. Not just lifestyle oriented, in the travel and all the things that you want to accomplish. I just don't want to be that person. Yeah. And the only way to do that is to have that foundation. You know, fortunately for me, I started it very early, very early on in my life. And I've continued it, fortunately, unlike a lot of people that have. And I've been lucky. I've been very steadfast in my fitness. So I think that's going to pay dividends down the road. Yes, but you also have found the balance. I will say the things that you've told me about your fitness regimens and your thoughts on, you know, putting fitness first while you were an athlete during, you know, portions of your, a large portion of your life. Night and day. And I understand that that had to be important to you. If you were still in that mindset or if you were still training like you used to train, if it was still top priority to you, we probably would never have been a thing. Well, it couldn't happen, first of all, because my body simply won't take that abuse <laughs> right, anymore. Right. Uh, that's not I, I physically <laughs> could not do those things anymore, nor do I want to. I don't want to work that hard anymore, and I don't want to hurt that badly anymore. But no, you're right. Had we met at that time, of course, given that the, you know, the ages were, have been aligned... 
we would my this relationship no I didn't I didn't have a relationship that lasted you know obviously my relationships were very short lived for a lot of the, the reasons that we just outlined because I was very rigid I was very regimented I was unwavering I was unwilling to to acquiesce it was my way or beat it and that was it did not care I was very singular in focus yes now of course life is different we have different goals my Age obviously plays an effect, certainly, and has for some time now. And I want to enjoy our time together. And I wouldn't have been able to do that then. I didn't enjoy a lot of my time. It was very, you know, very pinpointed. I think that we've come to the reality, the realization, I should say, that everything that we do is about each other. You are my top priority and I am your top priority. And I think... Well, our relationship is our top priority. I think... Our health and fitness goals are in a lot of ways tied to that. And I think that that's what makes it kind of beautiful. I think that the fact that I, for example, I want to get in better shape because I want to be more confident with you. I want to be able to walk around the house naked and not even think about it. Uh, I want to portray myself to you in a certain sexualized way for many, many years to come because that's part of what makes our relationship so special and fun. The idea that that is my priority as I think about health and fitness is healthy, in my opinion. It's something that just brings our relationship closer together. Well, and you think about it, just recently, last week, I had a, I was on a, uh, on a Zoom call with some of our friends, their friends, and they're also listeners of the show. And we were talking health and fitness because I actually had a, I did a debate with a gentleman who is a very accomplished coach in the world of Olympic uh, athleticism. We were debating the use of certain protocols as it pertained to exercise and fitness, particularly people over the age of 45 and that kind of thing. And some of our listeners got, were privy to that and asked if I would do a Zoom call with them and, and have that conversation with them. And these are folks that are in the world of ethical non-monogamy. They are couples. You know, There was one couple and then a gentleman whose wife, unfortunately, couldn't make it on the call. But they're looking to continue their exercise regimen and improve their fitness. They're already athletic. They're, they're already exercising and taking care of themselves, always looking for an edge. And these are folks 40s and over, right? right? So it is absolutely important when it comes to the health of relationships, not just the ethically non-monogamous. If you're in a relationship and the relationship matters to you, you should want to be at your best in every aspect, right? And that's healthy and it's some form of fitness, whatever your particular level of fitness you want that to be. If you want to run a mile, if you want to run 10 miles, whatever that looks like, be comfortable with that. And, and really, it's important for the longevity of any relationship. Being healthy and exercising, it's, it's just good for you to move around. And it really does bring couples together. It can bring people together. Sure. I think... I'm not disagreeing with any of what you just said. I also think, though, that overall mental health and a good positive body image can go even further than the actual health in terms of how it impacts your relationship. I think that if you don't feel good about yourself and you're constantly in that mindset of, I don't look good, I don't feel good, I want to lose weight, but I'm not actually on that path yet. And that is going to perpetuate itself in your relationship in a plethora of different ways. So I think no matter where you're at in your health journey, it has to be about feeling good in the moment, knowing that you're working towards what it is that you want, but not allowing 
yourself to feel defeated and allowing that to bleed into and create toxicity in your relationship because it absolutely will. I've had it happen. Well, there's no question, but I will say this behind what you just said. If you're not feeling at your best, if your mental space isn't, you know, you're not in the best mental space, your body image, your, your personal body image is skewed. Doing exercise of some kind, and that could be a walking. It doesn't need to be rigorous. Walk a couple of miles a day. Just get outside and move around. You will be amazed at what exercise will do for your mental well-being. Yes. You will just feel better. I'll say even you know, take away any sort of weight loss or weight loss. Yeah, goals. take that out of the equation. All just of, move around. Every time I go to the gym, I come home feeling sexy. <laughs> Well, sure. You, I look at myself in the mirror and I go, you're a badass. Good for you. Yeah, and it you, really does have this way of like a snowball effect. Well, that, but that's not by accident. You know, you're releasing those endorphins. You're being physical. And again, I'm not talking about signing up at the gym and, you know, getting your butt kicked in some cycling class or, you know, some CrossFit class and just going 100% all out. That may not be your thing. What could be your thing is just simply getting outside, getting some fresh air, walking around, walking instead of driving and whenever that's possible. And eventually what will happen is you'll get so comfortable with doing it and you'll feel so much better that you may move into the next level of whatever that fitness world looks like for you. Right. You know, and, and frankly, on, on the heels of that, if you are a person who is not physically inclined or athletically inclined, I absolutely don't think you should do anything before you see a doctor and have a conversation with them because going from zero to 100 is a terrible idea. That's not just something they say on commercials. That no, 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 no. That's a, no, that's a real thing. Listen, I have been an athlete, competitive athlete for most of my life from the time I was a child into my 30s. And what did I just do last, not too long ago, just before pre-COVID? I had a full spectrum of tests done. Um, I'm also someone who was only born with one kidney. I didn't find that out till I was the age of 19, but I, I do only have one kidney. So having blood work done, is for me is paramount. I had a full spectrum, 23 pages of tests I had done to make sure I was healthy uh, by my doctor. And that's just something you want to do. You got to have a conversation with your doctor. Find one that you're comfortable with. You know, have a conversation with them about what your goals are, what you know, where you are right now. Get those tests done. Get a physical test done and you know, go from there. Let let them kind of give you an idea of what you should or, or could do and, and move slowly. Don't just jump in. If you've not been active, do not just start doing crazy stuff. That is a terrible plan. Yeah. You know, terrible plan. Absolutely. I will say my final thoughts on this topic are this. You may not be in the shape that you want to be in. You may not be in a place where you feel as sexy as you possibly could feel. And that's okay. You don't have to constantly beat yourself up over it. I think you can I think you can both love your body and want to improve your body and your overall health at the same time. I think that's possible. Sure. I think not enough people talk about that. When we talk about things like exercise or diets, don't even get me started on diet culture. I think it's such a, a horrible rabbit hole to go down. I've been on every diet you could possibly imagine, and not a single one has ever worked for me. Well, the term so, diet, is, is a, it's a terrible term. So, But I think that what needs to be discussed more is you can love yourself and still know that there's room for improvement. A hundred percent. Listen, I think if you've, if it's one of those things, like if you don't think you can improve, you know, what's the point? I don't care what it is. You can always be a little bit smarter. You can always be more educated. 
You know, yeah. you can learn a little something about anything, a little more about anything. I've always found that the, the person in the room who thought they knew it all was the least intelligent person in the room. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, it's, fitness is the same thing. You don't have to be a marathon runner. You don't have to be an Olympic level athlete. You just got to feel better. As long as you feel good, what you're, as long as what you're doing makes you feel good, then you're doing all you need to do. Yeah. You could always feel a little bit better if you want to, but if you feel good with what you're doing and you're, you know, you've got a positive body image, which is really the most important thing, you've got to be feel good about yourself. The rest of it is academic. It just doesn't matter. Everything else is extra. Yes. Just feel good about yourself. Be happy with where you are. You can always add a level of improvement, but don't let it dominate your world. Or your relationship. Yeah, if you're in a relationship, it can go off the rails quickly if that is your singular focus, particularly if your partner is not on board. Really, it's like anything else, right? It's communication. We talk about it all the time. Have a conversation with your partner about how you feel personally. If you're not comfortable with yourself and what that may look like for the two of you. Yep. I I think that's the, the best thing you can do. Very good advice. I like that a lot. So I hope that you guys enjoyed this conversation. I think uh, both of us, you and I are both still on a journey of of understanding where we want to be with our bodies, how we're going to get there, and also just embracing where we're at right now. So 100%. If, uh, if that's the boat you're in, know that you are far from alone. In fact, you're probably with literally every other person ever. So Well, everyone, most of the people we talk to, and listen, I talk to a lot of men particularly. I'm a fan of working with the guys, particularly those over the age of 45. Now that I'm 50, love dealing with the guys over 50. I have a lot of experience with what to do, and what not to do to hurt yourself, certainly, because I've done those things. So I like talking to the guys that we interact with for that reason. I'm just more comfortable with that. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us. I'm happy to help you out. I know how difficult it can be, particularly for guys my age, to get back in the saddle. Absolutely. And you can reach us either on our website, which is sexonyourterms.com, or you can shoot us an email at sexonyourterms at gmail.com. And we also want to hear your feedback on this episode, as well as any questions or topic suggestions you guys have for us. Those can also be sent to sexonyourterms at gmail.com. Want to just give a very big thank you to those of you listening right now. We are, it's growing and I love it. And I love that you guys are coming on this very different yet very, in my opinion, important journey that we're on with sex on your terms so uh, thanks for your support there you can also find us on social media we're on twitter and instagram at sex on your terms so i think that is what we have for you this week and until next time we hope you enjoy sex on your terms